Hello, you're listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. This is The Big Tent, and I'm your host, Jacqueline Kettler, and I'm here with my fellow co-host, Jen Schneider. Hey, Jackie. And today we're going to talk about um, a few different kind of newsworthy events or topics that um, have piqued our interest. Um, And we're going to start um, with some discussion of corruption, um, kind of motivated by Ada County uh, Treasurer Vicki McIntyre's recent um, charges on uh, the felony counts of misuse of public funds. So, Jackie, what happened with Vicki McIntyre? I mean, um, uh, I have been away from the office for a couple of weeks. We're going to talk a little bit about having a media diet later in the show, but I have definitely been on a media diet for a couple of weeks and I came back and I saw that Vicki McIntyre had been charged. So give it, give some of the details for folks who are not following this story. Sure. And the story um, kind of first started back in the spring, back um, before the primary in April, when uh, it came out that uh, Ada County Commissioner, or Ada County Treasurer, uh, Vicki McIntyre, had inappropriately used uh, credit cards, the public credit cards uh, for personal use. Um, she had charged some uh, hockey tickets. Hockey tickets. Um, when she went to Las Vegas <laughs> for a conference and then also had used uh, the card to pay for, I think, some meals or a museum. Something at Walmart. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And as I was reading that, Jackie, I thought to myself, okay, when I open up my wallet, I have all of my credit cards in a line and I could see, and she said this later, that you you reach for one, maybe your work card looks a lot like your personal card and you get so in the habit of reaching for your work card because you use it all the time, sure. you make the mistake. And yeah. she's saying that's what happened, yeah? Yep, That's and she said that once the mistake was brought to her attention, she immediately wrote a check, paid back the county to clear that off. I'm assuming there's a paper trail for that. Yeah, that happened. I, I would assume. But the attorney general's not buying it, sounds like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, she um, la- last week um, was charged, uh, formally charged on seven felony counts of um, a public or of misusing that county credit card. Um, I think it's in a couple weeks her court appearance um, will be. Um, and um, she, of course, um, says that, you know, these charges are kind of politically motivated and that she's going to fight them. Um, but right now she's um, on leave. Uh, the deputy um, is currently the acting county treasurer. Is, is she a particularly politi- political figure in Idaho? I know she ran for state treasurer. She did run for state treasurer. Um, I guess I mean, primary. is she controversial? You know, um, I don't know that I've been here long enough. I'm, know. you know, yeah. I've just yeah. been here since 2014. Um, I, I, it does sound like there are some complicated relationships between her and the county commissioners, um, which, <laughs> uh, you know, has been kind of interesting to read. Uh, when the county commissioners requested she turn in her work credit card in April, um, she was pretty opposed <laughs> to doing so, and uh, I think threatened to. Uh, um, what what was the the action she was going to take? She's going to close down all the credit cards or something like that. Oh man, the full nuclear option. <laughs> well, this case is happening on a local level, but of course, if you're following the news at all, you're seeing that there are all sorts of corruption cases that are happening at the state level, at the national level. Um, do you have a sense of how? Um, the ways we think about corruption or the ways we study corruption is changing over time. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I do think, I mean, corruption can be a lot of things, right? And we tend to kind of just broadly consider it like a, a dishonest or fraudulent use of of public resources or power um, for those who are in public positions. Um, but there's a lot of different things that can be included with that. Um, and I think sometimes... And over time, things change too, right? Like um, a certain type of corruption will be much a bigger issue than at another time. It's interesting. I think, you know, when I think about when I was a younger person um, and and heard about corruption, I normally associated it with other countries, mm-hmm. you know, uh, banana republics sure. or um energy-reliant countries elsewhere. I didn't really think of the United States as a corrupt nation, although, of course, we've always had uh, instances of moral or financial corruption. Of course, Richard Nixon being sort of the one that comes to mind um, most readily. But it seems to me now that 
corruption and the coverage of corruption is much more in the air, whether it be sort of sex scandals, a sort of moral corruption, or whether it be the misuse of power. There's a lot of attention paid to whether or not the Trump corporations, for example, are benefiting from him being in office. Is that your sense as well? That we're paying more attention to these things? Yeah, more? I think so. Um, and I think often when we think about um, corruption in other countries, we're often thinking about like vote buying, right? Like candidates right. going out, buying votes, or like there's a corruption there in that electoral process. Or bribery. Uh, bribery, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, whereas I think here, like a lot of corruption is actually like, um, you know, the more along the lines of what uh, uh, Ada County Treasurer Vicki McIntyre is accused of, um, which is misusing public funds, um, setting up for like a s- contracts to go to a preferred vendor. Um, And these types of things, also as our government has grown, there's more opportunity um, for for these forms of corruption as well. So uh, that may also play a role. And are there sort of like corruption indices? Are there people who track these trends over time? Sure. Um, It's hard. You know, like, (laughs) there's a lot of variations in these measures, right? Because it's kind of a hard concept to decide what it is. It's easy to be like, oh, I think this is corruption. But then when you actually try to sit down and be like, here's what's corrupt, here's what's corrupt is a little harder. And here's what isn't. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we I mean, tend to, at least in the U.S., use federal convictions um, of corruption to measure it. But a lot of measures are surveys of perceptions. Mm-hmm. So for the public or for um, scholars or reporters, how what's their perception of the corruption in the state or the country? Well, I think the good news is you were looking at some data before the show that showed that journalists, I think, perceive mm-hmm. Idaho to be less corrupt than sure. other states. Yep, we're pretty low, I think, on the perception scale of, of reporters, about 43rd. Well, that, that is pretty low. And this one, that's one of those lists that you're happy to be at the bottom of, unlike <laughs> yes. some other lists. Do you remember who was near the top? Well, Illinois. Illinois always uh, Chicago. Uh, tends to be up there. <laughs> um, Louisiana usually as well, as well, but they didn't have a, they were missing um, for, for this scale. That may be its own special <laughs> yeah. corruption right there. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, what are we going to be talking about, Jackie? Um, We're going to talk some about political bubbles and the 2016 election and um, kind of what they are and um, what might be the effect of living in one. All right, great. Well, this is The Big Tent. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. Did you know that dozens of people spontaneously combust each year? It's just not reported in the mainstream media. For you in the Treasure Valley who can avoid that, you've got Radio Boise on 89.9 FM and 93.5 Downtown Community Radio for Boise and beyond. All right. Welcome back to The Big Tent on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. Um, I'm Jacqueline Kettler, and I'm here with my co-host, Jen Schneider. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we're going to move on to discussing political bubbles um, and how many of us kind of live in politically homogenous places and um, why that might be, what effect that might have on us. I know I was giving this a lot of thought after the 2016 election. I think like a lot of people, I was really surprised at the results. I think people on both sides of the aisle were. And I was thinking about this particularly in terms of my media diet, right? So uh, was I not able to see that election result coming because I was consuming too much liberal media, for example? Mm -hmm. So I set about really trying to diversify the types of media I was consuming. But this question of actually living in a political bubble is looking at something different. What what do you mean when you you talk about living in a political bubble? Yeah, so um, most of us live in neighborhoods that are, we all tend to kind of vote vote the same way. We think the same things about politics. Um, there's some debate on whether, you know, we move to the, we're attracted to these areas or whether we kind of, whether our attitudes change to match the areas we live in. So, you know, the causality is still a little unknown. But yeah, we are attract. We most of us live in an area where we're surrounded by people whose political views are very similar to us. So Jackie, you had sent me a link to a New York Times map um, where you can basically at a really granular level like at the neighborhood street by street level go in and look at whether or not your precinct your street your neighborhood went for Trump or for Clinton in the 2016 presidential 
presidential election. This has caused kind of a big stir. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the map, it's impressive, the sea of red. Um, and, and, you know, like we kind of know, right, that the rural areas and smaller states tend to tend to vote Republican and supported Trump. But it really is impressive to look at kind of these blue islands in a red ski- seascape. There's a lot of discussion about what those maps tell us, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, for example, the, the president is in some hot water for some comments he made during a, a summit with President Putin of Russia recently in Helsinki, where he talked again about his electoral victory. And he talked about the electoral map in particular, and uh, I think made a comment about how one sees a sea of red Mm -hmm. when they look at the United States. But that's sort of misleading in a way, if you think about the popular vote. So can you talk us through what that map might be concealing? Right. Well, I mean, it's a lot of a lot of precincts are red, and yet a lot of the population are in those blue cities. Um, and so you have a pretty, you know, the population distribution doesn't fit <laughs> the that map, yeah. and so it's a little misleading as to um, population size. Yeah, and did you um, <laughs> look at your own uh, residence, your own neighborhood on that map? Yeah, um, you know, living close to the university and in Boise, um, we live in, you know, all the precincts are pretty blue for the most part. Yeah. Um, we do have this interesting kind of red precinct up Chinden. Um, <laughs> it's like a finger extending into the north end, sort yeah. of. Yeah, a red <laughs> finger. Yeah, absolutely. That was really interesting. And um, it's really interesting to put that map sort of in conversation with, I think there were some pieces that the Idaho statesman put out a week or two ago talking about the bluest and reddest counties in Idaho. And what was interesting is I I think it was sort of a top 10 list Mm -hmm. for each. And uh, there wasn't too much surprising on the top 10 most Republican counties in Idaho, sort of what you would expect, North Idaho and Eastern Idaho coming in very red. The list of blue counties was more interesting. Of course, you have the university towns coming in blue. You have Haley, Sun Valley coming in blue. But after that, it's sort of uh, why even have a top 10, right? Because after that, I'm not sure that they get there are so many Democrat. Democratic areas. Um, So that was interesting. The other thing I just want to throw into the mix is that for you should definitely go and check out this electoral map at the New York Times, see what your neighborhood says, and think about what the impacts of being around like-minded people, living around like-minded people might be. But also Wired um, published a piece oh, a week ago called, Is the U.S. Leaning Red or Blue? It All Depends on Your Map. Uh, that was by Issy Lepowski. And that is worth going and taking a look at because it features a number of different maps. And it shows that the way we visually represent information tells a very different story. So, for example, if we do a sort of county-level intensity as points as opposed to covering coloring in the map all red and blue, our nation looks much more um, balanced, Mm -hmm. you might say. And maybe that represents uh, more of what we're seeing in the United States. Yeah, I think, you know, in the New York Times map, which is really fascinating for finding these political islands, you don't actually see some of the purple areas or the competitive areas quite as well. Um, And so these other maps, like the one Wired shows, does a better job of demonstrating that um, there are plenty of places where people are um, interacting and living with those who may think differently. Um, So the visual representation and what measures you're using do really make a difference. Yeah, and it supports the story about how polarized or divided we are, mm-hmm. too, uh, or it disrupts that story. Yeah. Do you have a sense of um, what some of the consequences of living among people who think or vote like you do, what what that might be? Well, one concern is kind of like you mentioned, you know, people being surprised by the outcome of the election. It gets really hard. Ho- it gets kind of challenging to recognize that people think differently or that and to recognize that there's validity in other people's views that are maybe 
perhaps different from yours if you're constantly, you know, um, being supported for your own views and not challenged, you then kind of discount automatically other points of view, which isn't great for policy discussions and, and debates. I think we forget that we have a lot of some similarities with mm-hmm. people who might disagree with us politically, too. I um, just went through some data for a project I was doing here locally, and the conversations that people had in person were actually really rich and nuanced. People who disagreed about some important topics were still able to talk to each other. The online comments, though, yeah. where people weren't face to face, as you might expect, uh, were not so generous and not so cooperative, not so collaborative. Um, and uh, it was almost like looking at pictures of two different communities, one where nobody could agree and the other where we might be able to reach some consensus yeah. around important issues. Yeah, it's really that being having to recognize your those that disagree you as a fellow human, I think is really yeah. important for actually getting a productive conversation going. Otherwise, it's just so easy to discount the other side. Remember that we're all people, man. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of polarization and politics, um, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to, to go on a media diet or even a politics diet, uh, what that looks like. And Jackie and I are going to talk a little bit about how we manage uh, the information that's always coming at us as academics. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. We have something a lot of other radio stations don't have. People. Welcome to the Republic of Radio Boise. All right. Welcome back. You're listening to The Big Tent on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I'm Jacqueline Kettler, and I'm here with my co-host, Jen Schneider. And we're both professors at the School of Public Service at Boise State University. So we do kind of have to keep up on the news. That was um, part of our job. Yep. Which has is, is been an interesting challenge um, in the last year or so. And so now we're going to talk a little bit about how to potentially deal with that. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I, following the election, I tried really hard to diversify my media diet, but that meant that I was maybe consuming twice what I had been before. I also went on Twitter, which I had just sort of viewed, I don't know, not super seriously before the election. It seemed like just another social media platform, but then it became really clear that that's where a lot of political and social discourse was happening. So I added a new social media platform to my media diet and then just, of course, started paying much closer attention um, to politics. So there was that following the election. And then on top of that, I think any journalist would probably agree that the news cycle is just it seems so much more packed, seems mm-hmm. to move so much more quickly and um, major events and announcements and changes seem to be around every corner. Yeah, it's kind of exhausting. So what can we do? How can we handle this? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, like I said, I just came back from vacation and we uh, every this is not an advertisement, but every year we (laughs) like to go to Stanley uh, for four or five days as a family. And of course, it's gorgeous. It's right at the base of the Sawtooth. The Salmon River is running through. There's so much to do hiking and swimming in lakes, uh, rafting the river. But one of the best things about being up there is there's just not good internet (laughs) service. (laughs) So you really do get to unplug in a meaningful way. And then I, uh, right following that, went on a a research trip to Logan Canyon in Utah. And same thing, no 3G. Man, what a gift that was. (laughs) I, I know it's so privileged to be able to go to these places and to not be connected. But I came back and just felt so much better. I felt better physically and I felt better mentally. And then as soon as we came back in range, my phone started pinging and the bells and whistles started going off. I had like a pit in my stomach about coming back to all of that. Um, But I think those really meaningful chances to unplug and get away are super important to our sense of humanity and to who we are. What about you? How do you manage yeah, and I, I do agree. Like, I think I think my initial kind of motivation was I need to read more, <laughs> um, diversify, read different things, and quickly found out this is just too much, especially with, you know, newspaper, you know, the evening news, and then adding fo- your phone to where you're always reading it. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I ended up doing was I 
it, I started paying more attention to state and local news and less yes. attention to national news. Um, so I was still like very up on what was happening locally, but found it was just a little too much to be constantly reading the national news. I hear that from activists a lot, too. I talk to them. Um, self-care, that notion of self-care is sort of all over social media and the news now because we're thinking a lot about burnout um, mm-hmm. in terms of the things that w- we've been discussing right here. And activists tell me that um, the way they sort of keep up their optimism and their energy and their hope is to focus on the communities of people that are around them because focusing on the national narratives um, seems sort of um, so disconnected and maybe cynical and feeds our sense that we're always in crisis or always in chaos. And if we focus more on our spheres of influence, there's a lot of hope Mm -hmm. to be found there. Well, and you see, I think, in the state and local um, news coverage, more positive, like, here's what's happening. Here's where people have come together in the legislature, local governments, local communities uh, to accomplish something. You see more about bipartisanship and the people who get along across different ideas, whereas the national media, perhaps for what it is or what it needs to be, doesn't cover that stuff as much. <laughs> yeah. I also see people engaging it sort of in intentional escapism. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's so strange, right? We used to sort of deride escapist entertainment, and now I think it's a strategy. But I have a friend who, uh, just to give one small kind of silly example, she talks about how for every episode of The Handmaid's Tale she watches, she has to go and watch an episode of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy because it makes her feel like America's going to be okay. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about what are the ways in which I can give my uh, moral and emotional outrage a break mm-hmm. uh, and see different kinds of narratives seems important, too. Yeah. I, one thing I've heard people also doing, because, um, again, like, as we mentioned, there's just so much happening and we have so much access now to where we just never leave the news cycle. Yeah. And so limiting um, like 15 minutes, you know, in the morning and then 15 minutes in the late afternoon to catching up on so you know news on the social media instead of opening that Twitter app or whatever throughout the day. Oh, and not doing it first thing in the morning, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not starting your day with that seems really important. I know journalists can't do that a lot of times. They have to stay up. I actually think for journalists, yeah, I mean, I think some of them have been as things change and I'm just constantly on the job. How do I handle this? Yeah, because their, their days are getting longer and again, news cycles seem to be shorter. There was a piece, uh, again, in the New York Times, we're quoting them a lot today, but there was a piece in the New York Times by Arthur C. Brooke, who uh, is a conservative commentator, and uh, it's called Need a Politics Cleanse? Go ahead and treat yourself. And he argues that uh, we should all just take two weeks right now and decide not to discuss politics with anyone. And he quotes this statistic. So there was a study that showed that... um, People of a particular political persuasion, whether Democrat or Republican, did not want their child to marry somebody mm-hmm. who came from a different uh, you know, political affiliation. And he says there's another study that shows they don't want uh, their child to marry somebody, even if they're from the same political affiliation, if that child also insists on talking about politics all the time. <laughs> So maybe it's not so much the Republican values or the Democrat values we can't stand, but the sort of incessant drumbeat of the talk of politics. Yeah, I mean, it really has. I mean, it it dominates, right? Um, Culture. I mean, politics, most of our pop culture right now, like The Handmaid's Tale, other even other fiction is very driven by politics. So I can see how people are like, you know what? I just kind of need a break. Yeah. And it doesn't help when we're coming up on another election in just a few months. Oh, yeah. So talk a little bit about this other election that's coming up. We have the we're heading into the midterm. So we imagine that that news cycle is going to uh, pick up again as we cover that. For sure. I mean, of course, you know, in the in the state of Idaho, we have, um, you know, a lot of statewide races um, that have that are open seats. You don't we don't currently have an incumbent in them. So maybe a little bit more activity than sometimes. And then nationally, the Democrats are hoping to take over a majority in Congress. And so you're going to have um, in some states a lot of congressional um, electoral activity. Yeah. So we're going to see start seeing a lot more ads on TV again. And then the 
the industry of prediction, all of those surveys and polls are going to ramp back up as folks try to predict whether or not there's going to be a blue wave or if uh, sort of Trumpist Republicans are going to be able to uh, hold on to power there. So it's going to be really interesting few months. It will be, but uh, even more challenging for how we can keep our sanity while also staying up to date on current events. That's right. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Big Tent today. I just want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter for those 15 minutes a day that you are on social media (laughs) at The Big Tent. That's our handle. You can also find us at The Big Tent on Facebook. And we try to keep it light on our Facebook page. So if you need a break, come and see us there. And we also post previous episodes in podcast form if you can't listen live. And we'll post those articles that we mentioned um, during the show today. Yeah, if you want to see your electoral map, you can go onto the Big Ten on Twitter or on Facebook and see those there. All right, thanks so much for listening to the show today. And uh, on Radio Boise, we will see you next week.